built around the concept that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, remember, you were born to win. But in order to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. You see, with integrity, you do the right thing. When you do the right thing, there's no guilt. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. See, folks, failure is an event. It's not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer. Desperately. Today's show is brought to you in part by Mile IQ, the number one mileage tracker app that more than a million Americans trust, including myself, to automatically log our drives every day. Mile IQ is the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your drives for you automatically, which is the key for me. It's incredibly easy to use and keeps all your drives securely stored in the cloud. The average Mile IQ user logs $547 a month in drives. That's over $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. So text Ziggler to this number, 31996, to start your 40-drive free trial. Create an account this week. You'll get 20% off an annual plan. Again, text Ziggler to 31996. Ziggler friends, just two days ago, I posted a Ziggler show and the topic was marriage, which is one of Zig's foundational focal points for ultimate success, but I haven't really given much attention to it in these podcasts. That show number 373 that I recorded with my wife, Terry, has resulted in a significant increase in downloads, more than most of our shows normally get. And we are getting these incredible five-star reviews and testimonials in iTunes. You should go check them out. Uh, so you can, uh, based on that though, today I'm bringing you another one. We actually did two of them at that recording and I'm just going to give you another one, uh, right away here. And I'll look to hit on this topic of marriage, maybe once per month or so from here on. So thank you for the great support and encouragement towards this vital topic of marital wellness and vitality for overall success. Zig, I know is smiling down from heaven. Today, we're going to continue on with a foundational success ingredient, relational health, marriage to be specific. I'm well aware that marital health is not the strongest topic hook for a lot of people. We want to learn how to make more money, enjoy our work, do work that matters. Anything that pertains to our money or work is always a hot topic from a presenter's standpoint. But uh, right now, I want to ask the question, why? Why on those aspects? What is the route that we're trying to get to? I mean, if you knock your work and income out of the park, then what? 
I mean, it's a quick exercise just to ask why. If you want more money, why? I mean, you could exhaust the quick list of, you know, I'd pay off debt, buy some things to make life easier and more enjoyable. Or the one I like that we recite a lot is uh, Forrest Gump. Well, it's just one less thing to worry about, which would be great. Uh, but, you know, you have some great experiences, you give to the needy, but at some point you're then left with your life. And if you're married, you're left with an exciting, vibrant, fulfilling, life-giving relationship or not. Same, same with work. I mean, you get the perfect job, make lots of money. Love what you do, and then what? Do you work 24-7, or do you ever go home, and what do you go home to? I mean, all the success will be diluted if the home front, as Zig commonly referred to, is not healthy. So today, we're going to talk about that health. Uh, though, let me flip my analogy uh, upside down a bit, too, and I'll make it personal. When, when my relationship with my wife, Terry, who's sitting with me here in the studio again, when our relationship is strong and healthy and vibrant, I am so f- much better fueled and able to succeed at work. Uh, I'm more creative. I'm more excited about things. I mean, that's just the re- the reality of any relationship that it can uh, help or hurt us. When we're more in conflict or in an un- unhealthy place. My world is just literally clouded. I'm preoccupied. I lack confidence. I have anxiety. I'm just not working on all cylinders. And, you know, we've been in those times and I've gotten... I've gotten frustrated wishing I could just forget about it, compartmentalize it. You know, things aren't good there, but can I just be relevant and and top notch at work? But then it occurred to me, well, I don't really want to do that. That's, That's getting numb to it. Is that what I want? Just settle for mediocrity in our relationship, remove the feeling and remove the value. All right, so there's my sales pitch preface uh, here. As you're, you're going to hear in the clip from Zig in a moment, uh, it's what he's trying to do as well. He, he actually says something about selling you on the merits and value and necessity of a healthy and strong marriage if you're going to have and you want overall success. So again, with me today is my bride, Terry. We recently did show 373. If you're listening to this one, didn't hear that one, you might want to check it out as well. Uh, we got great feedback. So here we go again. So this is, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's about, um, about 10 or 11 minutes, I believe, of Zig. He's back on stage and he comes uh, initially to us in a little bit more of a serious note. So I'm going to bring him to you and then we're going to join you and talk about it. In our culture today, we're seeing more and more these high-profile people who end up being married two, three, four, five times even. They're very successful in their jobs. They have millions and millions of dollars. They live in their luxury homes. They even have their own jets. All of the toys of the trade of being that top-ranking, highfalutin CEO. What we need to look at as we compare their lives with our lives and other lives is this. Our research, to repeat myself, proves all over the world people want to be happy, healthy, at least reasonably prosperous. They want to be secure and have friends, peace of mind, good family relationships, and the hope that the future is going to be even better. Now, I want to emphasize a point. You can acquire all the things that money buys without one lick of character. You can't acquire any of the things that money won't buy without character. So I would ask the question of these high-profile people, how happy are they? How healthy are they? How secure are they? How many friends do they have? How are they getting along with their current mate and the current children they're living with? 
How many friends do they have? How secure do they feel with all of these things? You will find analyzing those people that the really important, significant things are missing in their lives. On the other hand, we can examine people like Truett Cathy, who happens to be the founder and head of Chick-fil-A the company that does over a billion dollars a year in business. They are operating in many countries around the world. They have values. They do not open on Sunday and never have. They believe that their workers need that day off, and it honors God in the process of doing that. They've given away millions, and I do mean millions and millions of dollars in scholarship funds. They set up funds, Mr. Kathy has, for orphanages. He has a home for orphans. He does all of those things. A stable, beautiful, loving marriage that goes back something like 60 years. It can be done, but really the heart of what he does is wrapped around one word, God. He honors God in everything he does. He does a lot of praying. He worships with a lot of people. He has the things in his company that lead people to know that there is a God, and it is not money. The bottom line is he's one of those men who's done it all, maintained it all. He's happy, healthy, and he has a lot of joy in his life. Yes, it can be done. We need to evaluate what we really want out of life. A study was done and reported in Psychology Today on 1,139 CEOs of the Fortune 2000 companies. Average income, $356,000. Pretty good income. Their number one priority was their family. Their number one asset was their integrity. All of them were hard workers, but they were peak performers, not workaholics. There's a big difference. Their average work week was a little over 50 hours. Now, that's a long week, but it's not the workaholic week. The basic difference is a workaholic works out of fear and or greed. Now, both of those are powerful emotions, but they are negative emotions. The peak performer works out of love. Love for what they're doing, love for performing the service, love for delivering, and love for the people that they're delivering for, namely their family. Now, love is always going to produce better results than either fear or greed. The reality is these workaholics, and this stuns a lot of people, but let me emphasize I check everything out psychologically, physiologically, and theologically before I either record it or write it or speak it in a public seminar. And when I talk about a workaholic, I'm obviously not talking about the mother who has been abandoned by her husband and has to work the third job to support them. That's a loveaholic. That's not a workaholic. I'm not talking about the father who has to work 20 or 30 hours overtime to provide for the needs of his family. That too is a loveaholic, not a workaholic. I'm talking about the individual that works those 7 to 80 hour weeks to buy another house, a luxury car, a a luxurious piece of jewelry or whatever, and neglects the family uh, in the process. 
So when I talk about the family, the very courtship process, I'm talking about an important facet of American life. A lot hinges on it. And the reason I like to talk about courtship after marriage and the long relationship is because according to Dr. George Truitt, a man and woman should choose each other for life for the simple reason that a long life is barely enough time for a man and woman to understand each other and to understand is to love. Now the family is tied to our productivity and so let me point out in a little analogy that health is more than the absence of illness and a happy marriage is more than the absence of conflict. We want to talk about attitude as it relates to this because men, or men I should say, basically are not very empathetic and they're just now beginning to understand that a woman is not really going to think like a man. Now, how many times have I heard a man say, I just don't understand that woman. And what he's trying to do is get that woman to think like he does. And we keep saying that men and women basically are different and how happy we are that uh, they're different. Now, we have, as a result of it, a lot of communications problems and they lead to conflict. And this is compounded by the shift in roles we have in society, and this results in confusion. We've just gone through the IDI decade. I deserve it, is what a lot of people are thinking. And when a man and a woman, when a husband and wife begin to think in terms of, I deserve this and I deserve that, uh, then that marriage might have some difficulty. Now, the social researchers over the last three decades, as they looked at the selfishness aspect that's been developing in our society, so many times the attitude in marriage is, I'll stay married to you as long as it doesn't interfere with my career. Now, that can have a disastrous result on the marriage itself. Or we'd have children, but we couldn't afford to maintain our lifestyle if we did are simply reflections of the me-first philosophy. As you recall in the beginning of this series, I told you this was primarily going to be a sales talk on marriage. It really is. I'm enthusiastic about marriage. And the reason I keep bringing it up, Paula England, an associate professor of sociology at the University of Texas at Dallas, says that women today are kind of exhausted. They're also in a double bind. She points out that the ones who work feel they've abandoned their children to daycare. The ones who stay home feel they're abandoning their own career and prospects. And when she begins to think in those terms and the husband with parallel thinking there, when you think individually instead of as a team, and that's what we want to bring together, thinking as a team, planning as a team, working together, and that is what is going to make not only the marriage successful, but the result of that marriage successful. And bottom line here is they do an awful lot of miscommunication. You know, a lot of people think in a relationship that when they take turns talking that that's communicating. 
When in reality, a lot of times when the husband or the wife is talking, the other one is just sitting there waiting for them to finish whatever idiotic thing it is they're talking about so I can say something which is important. No, that's not exactly communications. A good marriage affords the excitement of using all of our abilities and yet provides the safety of protecting the one we love. I love what Dr. Richard Furman says. A wife wants a husband who listens, is understanding, is confident in himself, has security in his job, is dependable, is an achiever, is aggressive, but with humility and is trying to make the marriage better. Now that humility is a very important word. You know, confidence without humility leads to arrogance. You see, you got to put them together. But notice the last sentence there is trying to make the marriage better. Basically, what a woman wants in marriage is a man whom she can look up to, but not one who will look down on her. Oh, what a significant point that is. Um, so that clip is, and there's some things in there. I, I know we recently had Seth Godin onto the show and he said, uh, of course, talked about what a fan he is of Zig. Uh, but then he said, you know, there are some things that Zig said that he, that he felt were outdated and he didn't uh, always align with. And I know that there's some people who hear some of Zig's messages and feel that way, but you come back because you understand his overall heart and his overall premise. And so... We'll, uh, we're going to focus on some of those things. He does jump around on some topics here, but Terry and I are going to pull, uh, some, some aspects out and just candidly discuss them. Um, and the first couple are not even necessarily marriage focused. He kind of backs or, or ends up coming into that arena. Again, the point here in this show is giving more peace, joy, and success to our marriages and relationships, which greatly affects is, is really a foundation for everything else that we do go out and pursue. Um, so Zig first jumps off discussing high profile people, successful in work, millions of dollars. And we, as we analyze their lives, are they, we ask the big questions, are they happy? Are they healthy? Do they have friends? Do they have security? Uh, and, and we find often the really important, significant things are missing, can be missing as they went through, went for those riches and they abandoned some others. Yet he then shows true, talks about Truett Cathy, uh, who was a friend of Zig's. As a guy who he cites and knowing him as a guy who achieved great business success, but also succeeded on the home front. So I'm going to start off just with that topic, folks. I'm sitting here with uh, Terry, and she knows that that's something I've grappled with over the years. I had some early experiences with high profile, wealthy businessmen and Folks, I had some experience. I had some hard realities that I witnessed there. And I remember at the age, I think somewhere around 25, literally asking myself the question. And I don't know if I discussed it with others, but it was a, it was a conscious, uh, tangible topic. Can you be successful in business financially, financially, which was what I had intended to, you know, pursue and have morality, integrity, and most of all, truly loving relationships because I saw even men who said that was their platform and yet in the pursuit of their selfishness to a degree, like Zig talks about, they did lose at home. It was incredibly demoralizing to see that. 
And you know, what transpired after that was a, really about 15 years of me trying to be all heart, make sure that I don't ever put business and money and everything first. It's going to be relationships. And yet I was still trying to achieve business success. And ultimately I did a lot of sabotaging and it was a schizophrenic life. <laughs> As you smile and laugh. Yeah, I know it was, it was difficult, but in my life, and I'll cite my experience with other men, I do see this paradigm, uh, you know, lived out and grappled with a lot. Most guys don't, uh, in reality, I think because of that, maybe a lot of guys don't pursue, a lot of people don't pursue really significant achievements in work and business. They do enough to be okay, but then they assume that they really nail it. If they really knock it out of the park, they're going to have to do it at the expense of family and relationship. And as Zig points out, uh, there are, there are, uh, there are exceptions to that. So Terry, I, on that topic right there, I mean, that's one that you have seen me, uh, grapple with a lot. And I thought I'd just ask you, you know, on that, as he talks about that, what you would share in regards to what, to the reality of that, the reality of, of, of what you've seen that, um, that struggle in me and maybe other men as well that are grappling with that. How do I have a, ba- you know, that balance. How do I do well at work? Be not just a, a mediocre provider, but do really well, but not sacrifice home. I and mean, it's just difficult. Let me take a quick moment to highlight a Ziggler show sponsor, texture.com, where you can get your favorite magazines electronically. There are many magazines I really enjoy reading, but I'm no longer willing to get a big magazine sent to me that I may enjoy for 15 minutes, then have to throw away, nor do I like dealing with subscriptions. It just feels archaic and wasteful. With texture, for less than the price of three magazines at the grocery store aisle, you can get all your favorite magazines on your mobile device immediately. For me, as soon as I saw they had Fast Company, runner's world and outside magazine i was sold even more so as a writer they have a strong search feature and i can search and curate topics for content the best part texture is offering ziggler listeners a free trial right now when you go to texture.com slash ziggler seriously you'll gain unrestricted access to the world's best magazines from back issues to the one on newsstands today Just like CDs I'll never buy as I get all my music online at the touch of a button, I'll now enjoy all my favorite magazines every month at the touch of a button, anytime, anyplace. So go again to texture.com slash Ziggler and get your free trial. That's T-E-X-T-U-R-E dot com slash Ziggler. I think it's a tension, definitely. I know some of the things that we went through, um, I would often feel like, my goodness, I, you know, what an incredible daddy he is. What a sweet guy. He's a good friend to everyone. You know, he's, he's sweet and helpful to me and kind and tender and romantic and all these wonderful things. But then, I mean, this is a terrible phrase, but we used to joke I, about no, it. No, I knew it would come. I would, <laughs> <laughs> because I would say, show me the money. <laughs> I should have I pulled up that Jerry Maguire clip yeah, right there. Show me the money. Because it is that was that's an important part of feeling cared for. We had made um, choices early on in our marriage when our first two children came along that I was going to be a stay-at-home mommy. Um, our first two babies are real close in age. They're not babies anymore, of course. But um, can I insert with the reality? I don't know if it was right then or later in life when we realized, you know, in the workplace you 
always succeeded dramatically. And we used to kind of joke about if you were the one working, we'd probably be far better off financially and everything. Though I think we would have dealt with this very same thing that you would tend, you tend, wherever you're at, you're there. You tend to be, you would be, well, we'll get into that in a minute, the workaholic or the, the peak performer, but Mm-hmm. It would have been the same struggle. So as we talk this, I don't want any, again, I don't want to be discounted for us talk, me talking about guys, guys, women, whoever is that, you know, if it's a primary breadwinner or if it's both of you doing it, it's still the same issue. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that's a, that's a very important point. Um, and what Zig is talking about is focused on the husband, but that's not necessarily relevant anymore. But the point is still the same because definitely early on in our marriage, I was the workaholic. I was the one who was like, no, I'm not going to leave and leave the office till everything's done. And, um, I was very motivated, um, you know, to, to go forward in my career, to do a really good job, to be well liked. And I was sacrificing a lot in our relationship for that kind of performance. Um, and then children came along and that changed things. And I, I love Zig's um, quote in there, his, his message in there that women are in a double bind. And, and mm-hmm. that's definitely, definitely something I have struggled with so much over the years. But, but back to what we were, we'll, we can get to, to that in a minute. What we were talking about that, um, that early on we made that choice. I was going to be a stay-at-home mommy. That meant I was not out working and providing for the family, but I was doing my part in, you know, caring for our home, caring for our children. And it was a very kind of an old fashioned model, but it's what we wanted to do at that time and felt that was, it was important. You know, like you always said, you couldn't nurse the babies and I could. So that's the choices we make. And then things got crazy with business. And like you said, things didn't work out quite as we had hoped. And you were this amazing daddy, all these things, but not providing well. Yeah, And that felt like lack of care, lack of love. Okay, that I, I literally have a note down for that, that there was a time when you said, honey, I know that you're, I mean, you gave me credit that your my heart's desire was to be a great daddy, be a great husband. But right now, the way that you needed me to be a great daddy and husband was to provide better and financially. I mean, again, I was always pursuing work that had aspects of success that was fulfilling that helped people. But I was so focused again on being all heart and idealism that I didn't pursue sound business wisdom to make a strong financial model. And I did that even when there were opportunities for that, I seemed to sabotage it. And I think it might come back. Well, I do. I believe it, it. part of it was rooted in my own quandary with business success. Yeah. yeah. Can you yeah. have both? And you were during those years, my gosh, I remember you working at home, you know, entrepreneur, self-employed working at home. But I mean, the little ones were around. It was difficult. I'd try to keep them quiet, but you were also very distracted by them because you were committed to being available. Mm-hmm. And it was this beautiful daddy thing. And I remember that conversation that, that I said, I know that you are giving yourself constantly to the children, but the best way you can give yourself to the children now is to go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was significant. So, you know, coming, coming back to what Zig said in this clip, focusing on what do you really want? You know, I don't know if I ever really did that and got real with my own heart or, or maybe even us talking together. What do we want from a career standpoint, from finances? Where do we want to be economically? What do we even believe is healthy? I mean, that's just a great conversation to have to realize that one or both 
may have a, an a- actual desire for significant finances. I mean, that's something that's just ingrained in them or that's a goal for some reason, or to find that the other one is, is, is very averse to that. And there's no, I, I want to, I want to live at a very uh, simple lifestyle. And I don't, well, you need to get that out on the table and talk about that and find not only the perspectives, but try probably try to root out some of the baggage as well that you may have, but then what do you want? Yeah. Career finances and relationships. I mean, they, and realizing that, uh, uh, I think if somebody had point blank, put that in front of my face, okay, you got strong relationships, but dude, what's happening with, with work and finances and made me look at it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, everything is growing and learning. I don't, I don't want this sure. to sound, sound like, okay, so people, if you're not doing it right and you have your crud together, <laughs> then you're just terrible. No, we, we grow and learn and life is so much about seasons. And I don't think there's any way that you and I could, you know, go back. Well, we can't go back anyway. But even if we were there again and people had tried to encourage us, the, you know, with better choices, our life was our life. And we were doing our best. And I think that's a reality. Too. I, I do too. And it's hard for me not to give some call out to entrepreneurs. That's the world I have always lived in and still live in today. That's the, my gosh, if you look at the podcast right around the you know, top 15 top business podcast in the world, a lot of those people we've interviewed and, and I've been privy to somewhat, or at least know their stories. And it's, it's interesting. Well, and then if you look at the sea of entrepreneurs, you often find two, you can find two ends of the spectrum is the entrepreneurs who are out to do something they are passionate about and that matters. And they often will pursue that at the expense of doing some sound business things and, and providing well. And then the other side, we've got lots of stories and I could name names that are in some of the top podcasts of people who have gone after it and knocked out of the park and they have sacrificed relationships. I mean, those real examples are out there. That's what we're talking about. This isn't a solution other than just saying that exists out there. You've got to, you got to decide what you're going to do and what path you're going to follow. But can it both be, can it, can it be done both sides? I think what Zig is saying is absolutely yes. Yes. Again. Are we willing to fight the fight? Are we willing to get in there and do the hard work, battle through that tension? Like you said, I don't know that there are black and white answers. It's a tension. It's a tension. Well, so here's another, we talk about ends of the spectrum that was real interesting. And I, not only have I not heard this perspective, but I have not heard this message from Zig. This is the first time when he talks about the peak performer versus the workaholic, which again, dives right into this issue. And we go back into our own experience here. Uh, and he said the difference, he said the workaholic works out of fear or greed. I think we could probably go year to year, month to month, uh, five-year increments, three-year increments, and, and know when I was doing that, when I was a workaholic working out of fear and greed, which not that I leave that. I think we're probably, you know, there's cycles and there's going to be times as you go through different things, especially for an entrepreneur, somebody who's doing different business things. That's not just a steady uh, career. Well, Terry, I mean, you see me do both of those. I, I would say far more of the workaholic aspect than the peak performer. It may be even recently that you're seeing first glimpses of true peak performership, possibly. <laughs> performership. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, just that. Wrote, I just wrote that. <laughs> A brief pause to recognize a proud Ziggler supporter, PipeDrive, which is a foundational tool for peak performership, as I just coined. Sales was Zig's favorite profession, and if you are engaged in sales in your work or business, efficiently tracking and following up with prospects and leading people through the sales cycle can be laborious. 
But sales happen through consistent communication with your suspects and prospects, and you can't be consistent without a rock-solid structure and strategy. This is what Pipedrive gives us. Pipedrive is not only a proud supporter of The Ziggler Show, but we use Pipedrive at Ziggler. It's a CRM tool that specializes in small teams. So with Pipedrive, again, the pain and frustration of tracking deals trying to with email and spreadsheets is gone forever. Entrepreneurs like Pipedrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ultimately ensuring important activities and conversations don't get dropped. So head over to pipedrive.com slash Ziggler to start your exclusive 60-day free trial only available to listeners of this show. That's pipedrive.com slash Ziggler. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's a, I think there's a difference and it's a difference of heart it's a difference of attitude. Um, I think the times where, like when you've been in a great season where you are just passionate about what you're doing, you are happy in other areas. Mm. You laugh more. You smile more easily. Um, you you come to this place where you work really hard and you can play hard. Mm. You know how to rest and you know how to work. And again, it's it's that tension. That's what it comes back to. Yeah. Yeah, well, I love how he says, you know, the peak performer works out of love for what they are doing. And and I may be paraphrasing and adding on some, but I, I was, as I was thinking about it, you know, they, they believe in the work they do. They have love for the recipient of their work, which is the customer and their family who they're providing for. I mean, there's both sides, but that it is a, it's coming out of a love and a devotion. And of course, from that, we know it's, statistical that that love coming out of that peak performer and love and joy and fulfillment produces better results than the fear or greed. And again, I can go to specific timelines in my life where I was doing work. It was, it was viable. It mattered. And yet I was holding on to some things. I was going it alone. Number one, that's the biggest thing that we, that I did. And, uh, there was a lot of fear and I wouldn't say, well, you know, I was gonna say, I wouldn't say greed. It wasn't greed for money, but it was greed for pride protecting my self-image, yeah. dealing with my baggage, and again, making sure that I come off as all heart. Yeah. And That's identity a, and identity. Sure. Thing. Yeah. Well, and he, you know, Zig distinguishes again, and he wanted people to hear workaholic is not somebody who's working three jobs to responsibly provide for their family. Uh, but it's one who's doing that to, you know, afford another house or a car. I mean, coming back to the you know, the kids in daycare type thing. I know we've seen that through the years where it's, you know, we, we see people who are both working and they may lament that, gosh, the kids in daycare and feel bad about it. And yet they have, you know, two or three late model cars, huge house. They've got all the nice things and go, well, you, they're making some choices there. Yeah. And that's a hard one. That feels so mean to say that, but it, to me that I know everything's tension. It's gray. It's not totally clear. There's always unique situations, but it, it does always seem like, um, sometimes, yeah, when you have a couple that are both working and they're fairly wealthy, like you said, late model cars, you know, a nice, beautiful home. I often think you've put a price on your child's wellness, on your relationship, and you have decided that that late model car and the nice things in your home and your beautiful wardrobe, you've decided that that is more valuable to you than relationship with your child, than helping to raise your child in a, in a really loving, focused, connected way. And that sounds harsh. I know there's a lot of different stories that, that can, you know, have their own unique twist. 
Well, and as he comes to really kind of ends the, ends his, his segment there, the point is, or the value is coming together. Are you coming together on this as a team, as a husband and wife, as a team asking these questions? And if you make decisions that may not line up, even with what we're talking about here from a marital health standpoint, at least he's saying, are you doing this together? Are you a team? Are you getting these issues out on the table? Because if you do and go forward with career, whoever's doing the business or both of them are doing something or career wise, are you doing it? Understand as a team arms linked in agreement or not. That's, that's such a good point because that is important. I don't think the answer is, oh, well, you, you're putting a price on your kiddo. That car is more valuable. I don't think the answer has to be women have to stay home with the children, not at all, but that there can be some kind of a give, some kind of a flex, and it's going to be different for every person. Okay. So I'm going to give a specific example. My sister is a very, very successful radiologist in Austin, Texas. <laughs> I was about to not say it, but no big deal. Um, and her husband then is also a doctor. He's an orthopedic surgeon. They have a beautiful home. They take extensive trips. They have late model cars. But here's the thing. It, she has made some hard choices. She works in an office at her home. Her kids were never in daycare. They have a nanny a live-in nanny. And so she made some choices that on the outside might look like, oh, she's choosing the late model car over connection with her kids. But that is a choice that she came to, she and her, her husband came to together. And that fit their life. And they created a balance where she was with her children. She has been with her children. And yet she also has a very, very successful career. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the bigger, they, they did it together. They were both on the same page. Yep. on their decision on how to, and how to do that. And again, you know, we're talking about, I, I am going to do another call out to the entrepreneurs, especially the striving entrepreneurs out there that as we talk about one side going after material possessions and some of the issues, and, and of course you can hear some of our own biases on there that I would say, I did a very similar thing where I was addressing my own identity, my own need to prove myself in a certain way. And it was not, it was the opposite of money. It wasn't in poverty, but it was towards my behavior and my character that I was trying to prove. And I still did not come in the middle and be in agreement with my wife for one thing. Mm -hmm. And I also was chasing some things that were not uh, healthy for our relationship, healthy for our family. Uh, great idealism, great intent, heart of gold, but no gold to show for it. That's a good line. That's a good line. Well, I just wrote that sucker. All right. You need to type that down. Yeah. Well, so, so in his talk, he almost seems to, he kind of hits those two initial topics and then almost does a detour from talking about work and relational success and goes into choosing a mate for life, uh, which is interesting. And uh, because it takes, I love this statement. It takes a lifetime to truly understand another at a base, uh, intimate, and I'll say vulnerable level, Terry. Uh, and to do those things is, I mean, that's what love is talking about. And we're getting, and any, I mean, it's deep stuff as we look at each other here at 23 years, when we talk about that, understanding each other and getting, uh, to, uh, more health in our relationship. I, I sometimes, as I was listening to this, I thought, I, I don't, are we even halfway there? Probably not. I mean, it's going to be a constant process. I hope, I hope it just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do too. Well, and he makes a great, and I saw you, I was watching your face when he said this statement, health in a marriage is uh, more than the absence of 
Well, no, he says health is more than the absence of illness and a happy marriage is more than the absence of conflict, which I know that's a red flag for me uh, in not being one to desire conflict, which I think is very indicative of the male species more than the female, wouldn't you say? That men, yeah, tend to avoid conflict. Sure. Uh-huh. Well, and it's it can be a personality thing too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and that women aren't going to think like a man. I mean, we've got that. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Wasn't it the book? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, – and then him, he goes on to say, we don't – we often don't seek to understand each other. We are trying to get the other to think like we do. Okay, I got stuck on that one, Terry, because I like that – I like that – I like how he – I just took – maybe I'm going to take my own um, my own translation of mm-hmm. that, that I like that because it wasn't an accusing each other of, hey, you're just trying – to get your way or get me to believe what you do. He says, we're trying to get the other to think like we do. That doesn't sound as malicious. That sounds mm-hmm. more natural. I mean, I appreciate that. We are trying to get each other to think like we do. That's that's just understandable. It doesn't feel as selfish. I mean, you and I are not being un- so uncaring, but we are just naturally. It's like the five love languages. We tend to love other people like we like to be loved. Mm-hmm. So in a discussion, a conflict, an argument, a debate, a, 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 a decision that we're trying to come together on, that we are naturally, we'd like the other person to think like we do. Right. To, to deduct like we do. That's different than saying, I just want you to believe like I do. I want you to think like I do because I don't understand it in any other perspective. Right. And that makes sense. But then again, we know that's impossible. We all think differently and we can seek to understand and seek to communicate well, but you know, we can't really make other people think the way we think. No, no. Not, I mean, I sure wasn't saying that, but the understanding that, gosh, we've got to realize that as we sit here talking about X, Y, Z, that it's I've, I've got to stop myself and think. Because I'm, I would like you to think like I do. You don't. So I've got to, and that's where, the, you know, counseling standpoint, it's getting in the other person's shoes, mm-hmm. understanding their perspective, which is just makes sense when a counselor sits there and lays it out. But when you're in the heat of an issue, mm-hmm. it seems impossible. And it's usually in, in hindsight, I go, I just, I missed it. I yeah. totally missed it. Yeah. I, I wanted to be checked in and I checked out. Well, I do that so often. I'll come at things, you know, with emotion and feeling and oh, you know, and you want to make that decision based on logic and what's reasonable and what makes the most. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's common. It may not necessarily be the man Mm -mm. with the logic and the woman with the feel, you know, but we know couples that are flip-flopped. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really hit by the line, a happy marriage, um, what was it? Happy happy marriage is more than the absence of conflict. That was mm-hmm. it. Um, and that surprised me because I thought, wait a minute, just the absence of conflict, is, is that what we're searching for? It, that seems so silly. A happy marriage is going to be not filled with conflict, but happy marriage is going to have to have conflict or it will never grow and change and develop and become richer and deeper. For example... Our oldest son is in a very important dating relationship. I don't quite know how to say it, but he has a precious, sweet girlfriend, and they just navigated their first pretty big conflict. Um, And I think we talked about this some in the last episode, that we all come into any relationship, any situation with our own baggage, our own perspectives. And so then we've got to, in a marriage, be willing to deal with the baggage that we're carrying in to the relationship 
And that will be conflict. And if we're not willing to deal with that conflict and we keep wanting to just brush it under the rug, oh, it's more important to be in harmony. Let's just be nice. We're never going to grow and change and have a richer, deeper marriage. Okay. At this point, I would say I I understand you now, but I understand his statement in that. And I think there's... Okay, so I want to I want to I want to ask something on that. Um, I'm going to recognize one of our sponsors bringing the show to us today. Somebody people are used to me hearing about, and I think you're a grateful recipient of Terry Harry's razors, aren't you? Yes, uh, makes your cheeks nice and smooth and kissable. That's what. <laughs> there, you, can I give a better endorsement than that? That's the real deal, right there. Well, they do. You know, they tout their advanced cutting technology at an amazing price. So that's what we all want. You know, the best product at the least price. And it doesn't always come that way, but they have because they cut out the middleman here. Now, before I go into that, it, Harry's, go to harrys.com. Their starter kit's only 15 bucks. And if you use the code Ziggler, it takes another five bucks off of it. You owe it to give it a try. So how did they do it? They bought a razor factory in Germany that had been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And they did. They cut out the middleman so they could offer an amazing shave at a fraction of a price of drugstore brands. The shipping's free. The blades go from the German factory straight to your door at factory direct prices. Harry's was founded just two years ago. They haven't been around that long and have really disrupted the shaving industry by offering a better shave experience at a far better value than giants like Schick and Gillette. Harry's emphasizes great design, meticulous craftsmanship, amazing value, and highly personal and dedicated customer service for a completely better shaving experience. I'm a recipient of that. I'm very grateful. Again, go get started now by going to harrys.com to get your kit and use the code Ziggler to take five bucks off that purchase. I'd, I'd love to see Harry's create a, a women's set. Oh, would you? Like we'll have to talk to him <laughs> pink. about that. Yeah, we need a pink handle or purple or whatever. Not like that has to be, oh, I'm so gender biased. Yes, gender stereotyping. Sorry, <laughs> hey, gender What you want is what you want. Well, I, I like pink and purple. You know, I like teal too. Ooh, it could be teal. All right, Harry's, there you go. You've, you've had a request live on, radio, on uh, the podcast. Well, hey, so on that conflict thing, I mean, it's interesting as I was thinking about that and especially to think about Zig, okay? He, he's... You know, he would be, uh, gosh, 85 or so now. And when he was giving this message, we had shows, and I don't know how many people listening right now are even going to remember it, like Beaver Cleaver. Did that, or was that what it was called? Something like that. The, be- the Beaver Show? The Cle- whatever it was. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to, Leave it to Beaver. Beaver. Okay. We're but, terrible. But you think, about the, you think about the shows back then, and a lot of them were that pristine, idyllic, perfect little relationship where the biggest conflict was the dog got lost or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, come to today's shows, and it's... Uh, some of the reality show crap is all conflict. I can't stomach it. But but we, even like everybody loves Raymond. They're, okay. The whole show is about them sort of bickering and having to work through conflict and their baggage and that's true in laws and yeah. So I think we've got maybe we've gotten more real. But but so to his point though, do we? Okay, I'll take it to myself. That was my view. I mean, maybe I watched too much Leave It to Beaver, but that was it. If we have a good loving relationship and a strong marriage, it is, we reach this place of harmony and peace and utopia and little children singing in the background. And (laughs) I mean, that's an honest admission and I don't, and maybe it has to do with your, um, you know, your experience and, and gosh, it wasn't like my parents hid fighting for arguing, you know, from me, but that was my perspective. It really was. I don't know how many people out there share that, or maybe they came from a different background and it wasn't, but it's interesting to think of those shows that depicted some of that. 
Yeah, I've never thought about that, how it has changed now. Sitcoms are all about marital conflict and bickering and <laughs> working through stuff. Yeah. Well, so uh, so let's talk on, on on bickering, not not necessarily that, but he talks about Zig talks about communication problems and how often are we really in disagreement? And I thought about this as he was talking about. It. I thought about you and I because I I've, I've had specific experiences that after the fact we realize, especially it may and it's maybe after the fact, like a week, a month later on, and where we talk about something, and I realize you know what we weren't really even in disagreement, but our communication sucked. Yeah. I mean, our communication. Are you allowed with, to say that on the Ziggler show? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'll have to give that a <laughs> explicit rating. Uh, but with, you know, we had poor emotion. Uh, we had fear, hurt, anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, the, the methodology of our speaking or how it came across just skewed it. And we went past the fact that I don't even know if we were in agreement. And I, I remember having times in conflict of feeling like, I don't, I don't know that we're saying a different thing, but now mm-hmm. we're just irritated with each other. Yeah. And communication, which is, I mean, isn't that half of all marriage counseling is giving rules, which just sounds hard. Cause I just don't, can we not seriously, we're not strong enough. Can I just say what I think? And you say what you think and deal with it. No, because I said what I thought and it hurt you. And you said what you thought and it, you know, angered me and yada, yada. And we, we just left the point. Yeah. Then it becomes not even about the conflict, but no. maybe it is because hopefully when we come to those conflicts, then we realize, oh, we've got some communication issues. You know, we need to work on conflict resolution. We need to work on how we address things, how we work through it. And I don't know, maybe that's not so bad. Well, no, then I would say that that's a point of love too. Do I love you well enough to understand that you do not think like I do? Mm -hmm. And that if you want to, if I want to be heard, I need to bring it in a way that is understandable to you that is palatable and that may not be just being my true raw self and that's what i think we again we sometimes come into the marriage or again i i did thinking that gosh can i just communicate like i want to communicate and and you do it well i i would say that but then when you do that i get irritated Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but it's loving each other enough to to do that for each other and to be willing to change to to realize i cannot just come at you with a, a snippy response, you know, why do you leave the dish rag that way in the sink? Whatever. I mean, that's not something we argue about, but say it was that I just can't come to you with that. It's just not nice. It's not respectful. I'm not going to solve the conflict if that's how I come at you. And I have done that so much in our marriage. I've come at you after I've let things kind of build up and then I'm just mad or, or crying or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I come at it so wrong that I often sabotage um, any efforts to have good conflict resolution because I simply had wrong, bad, just disrespectful communication. And it's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. My friend Anne Marie, I bet they communicate very differently than we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amy, you know, I'm naming random names, but yeah, mm-hmm. we know who they are. Well, and the point here, again, you know, Zig, why did he come to this? Why are we here on the Ziggler show? We are often talking about what well, we're talking about aspects of personal development, inspiring true performance. And Zig so often came back to marriage because he saw it in his own life. And I know stories. I know his kids. I work with them. I know some stories and he was not always perfect. There's uh, even his kids. I will cite, you know, he was a different guy to some degrees before the age of 45, when he came to the Lord, 
than he was after it. The guy that Tom Ziegler, he, Tom was the baby of the family that he knows was after that point. And a lot of, th- a lot of Zig's character changed. That's where, and you've heard previous shows where Zig says he was a broken man after that, a beautiful, broken, beautifully mm-hmm. strengthened, amazing, broken man. But he was a broken man. But again, we're talking about the home front. Zig often talks about that because I think he realized that as a guy who went out and he had the acclaim and the fame and he made the revenue and he sat there up on stage and then he has plenty of stories. If you read his, his, his books, read his autobiography of times when there things were difficult at home and it soured everything. And I think that that's either, either that's the case for a lot of people. They relate to that or they understand that or have a respect for that or They've just become numb to that at that point. We all see how that pans out as well. So I thought we would summarize or, or end the show here with a topic because I was watching you also when he said this. He he uh, he says, a woman wants a man she can look up to. And right there, stop there. And tear, I saw this little, wait a minute. I, I kind of cringe. She kind of, like, <laughs> oh, gag me. Uh, <laughs> this, this is, is so <laughs> leave it to beaver. Uh-huh. Um, oh, wants a man she can look up to. But who doesn't look down on her? Yep. Okay. So I want to insert what what went through my mind after I had that cringe when I was like, no, no, be nice. Be nice. Think of the point. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what's the point? The point is a man wants a woman he can look up to as well. <gasps> that was my second line. It's written right there. I can prove Aww. it. A man wants a wife who is strong, able, wise, and who they truly respect and who respects them. Because I, yeah, especially in the today's world, I we we have a lot more equality uh, on all all rounds. That feeling is exactly the same, and I see couples on both sides suffering from the same thing. They want, they do want a spouse that 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 is a rock star to a degree, and whatever that looks like to them, mm-hmm. who they look up to. But it's absolutely shattered if they are looked down upon, and that is often a struggle in any relationship. Uh that's. That's just the crux right there. That's it. And even even the line, Ziggler, Zig said it, confidence with humility. That that my husband wants me to be confident and strong. Mm-hmm. A man wants a wife that he can look up to. A woman wants a man. I want my husband to be someone that I can look up to. Mm-hmm. I want him to be confident to be strong enough to um, push back when I'm being wrong, to be strong enough to make choices when they're hard choices, make the choices that don't feel good, but it's the right thing to do. All those things that create confidence. I want to be able to look up to you. You want to be able to look up to me. But the key, the crux of looking down on the other one that's when you don't have humility. I think that's when he said confidence without humility is arrogance. And so the minute that my confidence is not so coupled with humility, so entwined with humility, then I'm just arrogant and I'm looking down on you and I'm looking down on everyone. And that's just never, ever going to work in a marriage. I, I would almost say that I believe that is one of the most key factors in a successful marriage. Okay. So, I mean, can we give it a label of respect to a degree, which if we go back to, again, folks, if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to our first show uh, on marriage, which is just a couple of weeks ago, uh, show number 373, it was a lot about caring for your spouse enough to do those, to do loving things 
for them. Cause it made me think you said a second ago, if you're just being a rock star out in your work and your endeavors and you're doing that, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. It, it raises my credibility. I can selfishly, I mean, I want to, I want a wife who's a, a rock star and does what makes me feel good. But I, I also, then, then we get into like the love languages. What is mine time? I want your time. As long as am I still important enough amongst these things that you're doing to have, have time that's what speaks love to me. And so then we get into, again, the, the prior show of saying, what are those things that make the other feel respected, feel loved? And then we get into the daily habits and deposits of marital wellness as, as in any area of wellness. Yeah. That can I come back to humility? Yeah. I just think that people, um, misunderstand that term. And you and I just recently had a great conversation about this. Goodness, was it this past weekend sitting in the sun outside? Well, for disclosure, you probably haven't listened to that show yet. I talked about it on the show. Oh, the the humility conversation that we had? Some. Okay. I mean, go ahead. Do it again. Um, okay. Just just the idea that I think people often have this this preconceived idea that humility is thinking less of yourself, that I'm humble when I'm like, oh no, I'm so lousy. No, no, you did great. I didn't do great where we're putting ourselves down. And I love the perspective that that is not humility at all. That is still Mm self-focus. That humility is simply knowing that other people are equally as important as I am. If I have strong opinions and, and big ideas then if I have humility, I am listening to the strong opinions and big ideas of other people, and I'm giving them equal value. I think when we have humility, then we are collaborative because there's not one person who is stronger and better and in charge, and there's one person that's lesser. We are both equally valuable, and we can collaborate on any decision that we need to come to. Yeah. Okay. So I just, it just made me think of a, a kind of summarize what we talked about is respect, you know, that we all, I mean, we, it just doesn't work without mutual respect, which Zig emulated his unbelievable respect for the redhead, for Jean, you know, that he talked about, I mean, he just honored and adored and cherished her. He talked about it. He talked about it on stage. Nobody who's listened to Zig, uh, doesn't understand that. And if you ever thought that I, it's just, you know, that's part of his shtick. I learned better when I met her and mm-hmm. I met, uh, I met his kids that I now work with and they all, their amount of respect and admiration for him showed me his true colors. And you don't even know this. I think it was uh, three weeks ago. It was before an interview that we were doing with somebody. Uh, I was, Tom was late getting on there. And so Skype, I'm waiting on Skype because we've got a guest that we're waiting for. Uh, I don't remember who it was. It might've been, it might've been Seth Godin. Actually, I can't remember. It was a recent one though. And the screen comes on and it's Lori Major, Zig's longtime assistant who still heads up Ziggler and Gene sitting there in the chair. Sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We, know we actually had them on a little piece of of that show. So folks, you might remember which one is better than I do. But anyways, <laughs> respect. Oh my gosh. His respect was unbelievable. And then he's just humility was incredible. And so the last, I keep saying last topic, I do this a lot on the shows, but this one (laughs) in doing that, in that humility and respect for each other, one of the things I've never forgotten is a topic that you brought up. I don't know if you wrote it or if you read it somewhere, but that aspect of deferring to each other, Mm, I still think of that a lot where you said- Instead of forfeit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, but just honoring that 
you know, I, you do this a lot when you'll start to ask about, wait a minute, are we going the right way or wait, where are there? And you'll go, wait a minute, Kevin, you're good with directions. I'll, I, I, I trust you. I'll defer to you. Mm-hmm. And that, it makes me feel significant and honored. Mm-hmm. And then likewise, when I'm doing something and you know, questioning what, Something you done making it. a sauce in the kitchen. I was, gonna, I was just going to say that, but I didn't want to be sexist and talk about the kitchen. But you're just a killer cook, so. Well, but then think about it. Like when you grill, mm-hmm. this whatever you do, your seasonings. If you put olive oil, whatever you do, I don't question it at all. I absolutely defer to mm-hmm. you with all the grilling that you do. He's he makes the best grilled fish ever. Well, I just bring that up because I see that tension in relationships where they don't honor somebody, you know, honor their spouse in a certain area where there's, there's a vying for, you know, who's, who's smart control, control, vying yeah. for power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Instead of deferring, but equally deferring. And I think deferring is a really different concept than forfeiting because when you forfeit, that's, that's like me saying, um, well, gosh, honey, are you sure we're going the right way? And then you saying, well, yes, I checked it out. I know where we're going. And then if, if my response was fine, fine, never mind, mm-hmm. whatever, just drive that I'm forfeiting. I'm being a jerk and we all know it. But if I defer, I truly make that choice to say, you know what? You have a great sense of direction. I trust you in this. It's all good. It's totally different. Well, hey, folks, I hope again that this was a topic that that just uh, benefited you and was relevant for your life. Okay. Hey, I just want to interrupt really yeah, quick. Um, I wanted to make sure for some reason I started worrying that listeners are going to think that we we actually do have that very, very leave it to beaver life. Like who are we to give advice on any of this? Who are we to have any wisdom? But we have had a vast, um, I don't know, many different... Seasons. seasons. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I couldn't think of that word. Yeah. We've, we've been through so many different seasons and yes, I've had major seasons of being a stay at home mommy and a homeschooler and you know, all those sort of leave it to beaver things. But then I also now am just about done with my master's degree and I am pursuing a career and work that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And so there's not just one perspective here. I just wanted to make sure that Listeners understood that, that yes, I am also a working mom. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. anyway, I just no, thought that was important. <laughs> no, it is that we've done both sides and it's not a, it's not a, a platform of this way or that way is best. Absolutely I think, not. again, the point of this, of Zig, it, it, uh, Zig's message is having health on the home front is that's where true success is going to come from. As you pursue all these other aspects of inspiring your true performance, this is a root right here. And the, and then some of the aspects of what it takes to get there. And that's just his number one. I mean, his book again, courtship after marriage was focused on giving your spouse that respect, that attention, uh, that level of care from you that you did courting after the marriage. And, and, you know, when I was, when I last saw him three years ago, I think Tom said that it's been that. I think Seems it, longer. <laughs> has it? Maybe it's been longer than that. But when I spent, when it was the last time I saw, or I, I saw Zig, that he, it was after he had had a fall and he was, he was on a downward, you know, downward, um, a bent and he was still there, but he would repeat himself a lot. And it was incredible to be with him for an entire day and hear him, no matter what conversation, somehow he would weave in. If people courted their spouses, after the marriage, like they did before the marriage, there wouldn't be any divorce. I mean, 
I don't know how many times you repeat it. It would come up. It was almost like a game. Pick a, pick a topic. Sometimes he's going to bring bring it back to that. That's oh, so sweet. Oh, I know. Oh. I know. It was the number one, along with some other core statements. I mean, those pill the pillars that he spoke on stage were the pillars that he believed in in life, from his own experience and from his wealth of experience of walking with other peers. And he saw the good, the bad, and the ugly from their lives, and that's what he came back to. And I think his feeling was, it's folly. It is folly, and there is not true success without that. And his number one platform on that was you respect and you honor and you cherish. So there's, and that's, that's courting. It's not, you have to get dressed up and go out on a date every week. Yeah. I mean, that can be a beautiful part of it, but if I am going to have an attitude of courting my husband after 23 years, it means that when he comes in the front door from some meeting that I head over there and give him a hug and a kiss and say, Hey, I love you. How are you? Just the sweet things I would have done when we were first married or first dating. It's those little deposits of love. And then it's also the humility, the deferring, the kindness, the mutual respect. All of that is courting. So folks, thanks for being with us today. And I'll leave you with the same thing. I'll leave us as we sit here looking at each other is how can we better court each other in our marriage? What are some things that we can add in? What are some ways we can love, respect, and honor each other better? So I'll leave you with that. Thank you for tuning in with us to The Ziggler Show. Eager to be with you in the next show. Mm